This has to be a balance, which I hate to say because life is all about balance. It is. But in order to find balance, at least what I'm slowly learning over time, trying to compound my own knowledge in this realm, is that it's also understanding yourself and understanding what you want Mm. and not what other people want, Key. what you want Mm. and making being okay that you want it. Right. And then going after it. Mm. But that in itself is a very difficult task. It takes a lot of self-reflection, a lot of self-actualization. And then you add in a second partner, it becomes more difficult because now it's not just your wants, Mm -hmm. it's someone else's wants. Welcome to Critical Thinking Required, hosted by LBW. This podcast is intended for free thinkers, entrepreneurs, and knowledge seekers. Join us as we discuss relevant financial topics, explore with guests their financial journeys, and engage with experts in industries such as space, media and entertainment, real estate, and many more. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Welcome to Critical Thinking Required. I am your host for today, Nathaniel, and this is my partner and co-host, Tim. And we are going to be giving you a little holiday edition, end of the year, winding down the year uh, podcast today on retirement contributions. Yay! Yay! So we're going to be talking today about the importance for saving for retirement, the potentials for tax savings and long-term growth on your investments within your retirement, and then the peace of mind that comes from saving for retirement. I know I feel much better as a result of of saving for retirement, so I think everybody should get on board with that as well. So to begin with, let's discuss the importance for saving for retirement. Tim? I think this one's pretty straightforward that most people in the United States recognize that they should save for retirement. Mm. I think sometimes what's a more difficult question is, how do I save for retirement? Can I save for retirement? And if so, where does it go? Hmm. And most people, typically speaking, uh, have employer plans, such as a Hmm. 401k. Some have access to, obviously, an IRA if they have earned income, so they can contribute through that. So these are what are considered qualified accounts. I always like to explain people that qualified is a word meaning that there's some sort of qualification, and that qualification would be more towards taxes. So the government, so technically speaking, I guess you take a small step back. An IRA stands for an individual retirement arrangement. Not account. Not account. That is correct. That arrangement is with the government, right? You're kind of making a deal. And the deal is that in a traditional IRA, you can put money in today and then you can remove that from your taxes as of today. And as that account grows, it can grow tax deferred. So you don't pay any taxes on it while it's growing. But the moment that you want to take money out for retirement, the government comes back and says, hey, remember that arrangement we put together? It's time for you to be taxed. And we're going to tax it as income and any growth will be included in that. So then that's where is what you really are kind of setting up. So when you're saving for retirement, those are some of the vehicles that you can do it with. But what's really more important is how much should you be saving and how can you be saving is a really big question. Hmm. That's where when you work with professionals like ourselves, we try to do a detailed cash flow analysis to understand both your short term, your medium term and your long term goals. 
and try to set a foundation that allows you to build up to get to that point. Because typically we're working with people anywhere from 30 to 45, 50 years of age. And guess what they have going on? They have families. They have a lot of expenses, saving for kids' college. There's so many other things outside of just saving for retirement that we have to be able to meet and achieve while taking into consideration that we continue to save for retirement. Mm. But typically speaking, the best route to go is to save within those vehicles I just spoke about, an IRA, a Roth IRA, a 401k, because that gives you the best tax advantage, that arrangement with the government to try to build up that wealth over time. So within everything that you just said, said there's a there's a big potential for tax savings in multiple forms, depending on how you play it. Can you speak to how that would yeah. shape out depending on how you're investing? So as I mentioned with the IRA, we already explained that. So I won't re-explain that mm. one. But typically within IRAs or 401ks, there's a tax advantage when it comes to these accounts. That's why they are deemed qualified. And it's an arrangement with the government, like I mentioned, on how that is going to be taxed over time. So the IRA, to summarize, was you get a tax deduction today, tax for growth in the future. And then as you take that money out, that's when the government rings the register and says, now it's time for me to earn my money. So real quick, what is it, what do you mean by deferred growth until you take it out? Exactly. So as the account grows, you're not going to be taxed with like long-term capital gains or short-term capital gains. So you can sell and buy investments inside that account without incurring any taxation. All of the income or anything that is made in that account can is gross tax deferred. Hmm. But the moment you take money out of that account, that's when the government's going to make sure that you ring the register hmm. and that you pay them. So on the exact opposite, most of our viewers probably understand what a Roth IRA is. So the way that the, that arrangement works is the government says, hey, you're going to get taxed on everything today. So you're going to get paid from your employer. You're going to get taxed on all social security, all of that federal state. It's going to flow down and you're going to have a net paycheck. You can take that net paycheck and then you can invest it into a Roth IRA. Now there are stipulations around that for how, who can contribute and who cannot. And there's also what's called a backdoor Roth IRA, which we've spoken to hmm. in another podcast, but overall, you have your net amount and then you can take that net amount and you can contribute to a Roth IRA. So there is no tax deduction. But as that account grows, it actually grows tax-free, not tax-deferred. So that account can grow tax-free over time because when you take money out of that account, you both you get both the growth of the account and your principal that you put in that comes back to you without having to pay the government or the state government tax-free. That's pretty awesome. That's mm -hmm. a great deal. And that's what the government does is they want to get their money today and they're going to give up getting their money tomorrow. An IRA, they're going to give up money today and they're going to get their money in the future. So it's a really good vehicle to be able to grow money tax-free over time. With that being said, with these tax savings, they're both really great vehicles mm -hmm. to save in. And there is a debate on is a Roth better or is an IRA better? There's a lot of conversations around that. And there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of variables. But overall, if we're talking about just saving for the long term, getting as much money in those accounts can be very beneficial. With an asterisk, you can save too much in a qualified or a traditional IRA or 401k account because the government at some point will force you, which is called a required minimum distribution, to take that money out. 
So if you've built yourself up and you don't really necessarily need to take money from that, it can actually create disadvantageous tax consequences that you may not want. So it is something that you have to be prepared for. And then there is what would be considered tax diversification over time from a planning for retirement standpoint. Now, the RMDs, though, those don't apply to the Roths. The Roths. Correct. Okay. Yep. So they're currently, as the rules or regulations are stated, there is no RMDs on Roth accounts. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have an R, if you have a Roth 401k and you're at the age of 72, there are required minimum distributions out of that. However, there's easy ways to solve that. You just take it out of the account, roll it into a Roth IRA, and there is no longer any tax or any need to take money out of that account. I will say though, I believe it was the second administration of the Obama administration did propose RMDs, not taxation, just RMDs out of Roth accounts similar to IRAs. And that was so I just want to bring that up is that there is government risk that at some point they could come back and say, hey, you actually now need to take money out. I actually remember um, during one of the Obama administrations as well, they proposed within their budget to that. maybe this is where the RMD is tagged into is that they proposed a cap on how, how much of a, a value could be placed within Roth IRAs. Yes. Oh, good is point. that, it, is that tied I, to that? I believe it was in the same like okay. writing where okay. they were thinking about that as well as RMDs mm. because during the Bush administration, that's when they opened up what was considered mega door, mega Roth conversions mm. where there was no limitation to the amount that you could convert from an IRA to a Roth. That is still in place today. You can convert a hundred million if you wanted to, whatever amount you wanted to convert, you can do it. You just have to pay the taxes to the government. Right. And I believe the Bush administration used that tactic to actually generate uh, revenue for the government at that time mm. and allowed people with IRAs to convert a decent amount into mm-hmm. Roth IRAs. And then the flip side is that with those Roths continue to compound in growth, then the government's not going to get any money. Does not partake, <laughs> yeah, does not partake in those in that growth over time. It, it is a balancing act. And, and again, that's why I like the individual retirement arrangement. How is it being arranged with the individual, with the government on how that money is taxed today and tomorrow? Hmm. And the 401k works very similar. Again, small nuances in in the overall rules, but very similar from a tax standpoint where you can put a lot more money into those accounts as well. I should also mention that there are limitations to how much you can contribute to an IRA, an individual IRA. And then there's a different limit, which is a lot greater within a 401k. Mm -hmm. Um, So 401ks are great vehicles and they become the more dominant vehicle within the United States, where if you were to go back in, in not that far history, pensions, company pensions were more of the route to save for retirement. Mm. And those have gone by the wayside because there's a lot of risk to a private company to essentially underwrite that pension appropriately um, to continue to pay it out and it just hurt companies' balance sheets. And so they took that risk and put it more towards the employee instead of taking it on as the employer. Mm. Um, And so 401ks are really the dominant vehicle to save for retirement. Um, which can supplement, which Social Security has always been meant to be a supplement, but to supplement things such as Social Security or a state pension if somebody is working for a a state government. Mm. Okay, well, moving on, I think we already touched on this a little bit when we were speaking to the tax deferment of these investment vehicles, but could we maybe speak to the potential 
for long-term growth on investments within the retirement vehicles? How are they advantageous, et cetera? So I think the first way to start is that when we're saving for retirement, obviously we want to be able, this is a long-term gain. Mm. Most people um, who are starting to save now, who are kind of hitting on maybe are again, anywhere from 20 to you know 50 years of age. And they're like, hey, we need to save for retirement, save for retirement, right? We get to those later ages in the 60s. That's when people are looking at actually taking off their portfolios. So when you're looking at it, it's like, okay, well, what vehicles can I invest in? And these vehicles are so advantageous for the long term because you could grow tax deferred money or tax free money over a really long period of time, which I'm going to hit Nathaniel on this about compounding. So if you start when you're 20 and you start to invest that money and you can get this great ad, uh, uh, you know, advent, advantageous tax uh, benefit from the government and you can do it. And then you start to compound that money over time. And because you have time, you can invest that money probably in what would be considered more volatile securities, such as the stock market. Historically speaking, the stock market after inflation has earned about, you know, high 7%, which is great. If you think about that and you compound that over, let's say 20 to 30 years mm. and make additional contributions, you could make a lot of money, mm -hmm. um, which can be really beneficial. So like that long-term growth, the longer time period you have, the more advantageous it is because of compounding and you can let the market do its thing and cycle. If you were to look at the S&P, it's been very a lot of gyrations, but over a long period of time, that becomes a little bit more linear. It looks a little bit more linear over time, but that's mm -hmm. because you have the time frame to allow for the market to gyrate. So to be able to do long-term growth investments, it's, it's very advantageous. And then you can start turning things around as you get closer to retirement, but it allows you to do that. And what's nice is that if you compare that to what would be considered a non-qualified account, so what some people would say a brokerage account, where you're getting taxed when you sell securities, you can either get hit with short-term capital gains, you can get hit with long-term capital gains, you can also take losses. You can also get dividends, qualified or non-qualified, which is also going to be considered income or interest, right? The government's taxing that account in a lot of different ways, mm. where if it's in a qualified account, it's not. And so that's where you can get this. You, you take that and then in addition to compounding and got a recipe for absolute greatness. So I know Nathaniel might have some points as well when it comes to some of this long-term growth and maybe diversification of those assets. So there is an argument when it comes to investing for the long term, that diversification is your friend. And I think that when you look at uh, index investing over the long term, I, I agree with that sentiment. If you don't feel comfortable investing in individual companies, we've always said investing in indices, passive indices based on the the a specific index is a relatively safer route to go. Because when you're investing in individual companies, you have to know those back and front. You have to understand the risks involved, uh, not only for yourself, but also uh, to you as the investor. Um, and putting all that together, it's very important. It, yeah, diversification is a good is a good thing. But what I always like to harp on is what Tim said, um, is long term. You have to think long term. You can't be going in and out of investments trying to catch the next big thing, uh, trying to forecast what the next big thing is going to be. Statistically speaking, those investors have historically underperformed the indexes, the indices um, over the long term. So um, to Tim's point, I always like to use the example when it comes to long term compounding. 
the the classic uh, example has always been, what is a, a penny worth if you were to double it every day? And, and what would you have it at the end of the month? Depending on how you do the math, uh, most people always get the answer wrong. They, they vastly underestimate it. It's over a million dollars. If you take two to the 30, you get a million. If you take two to the 31, just one extra day, it becomes two million. So um, the power of compounding is incredibly powerful. The sooner you start, and even with small amounts of money, and you put it inside of a retirement vehicle, it's game-changing, life-changing. Yeah, fact. it's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful thing. So we covered a lot of ground today with all of the different types of retirement vehicles. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Roth personally, uh, but to Tim's point, that's that's what makes sense for, for me. doesn't make sense necessarily for everybody. It's dependent upon you. It's dependent upon... Uh, how much, how important retirement is to you? What does retirement mean to you? It depends on how much you want to utilize the tax savings that comes with each different type of, of retirement vehicle. It depends on um, the long-term growth of the investments that you place within those those vehicles. And then that peace of mind about what is retirement? It's really what it is. Uh so for, for me, I just wanted to hit on a, a couple of points and then I'm going to leave it off with Tim. Uh, compounding. It's not only in terms of the compounding of your wealth, it's the compounding of those iterative decisions that you make on a daily basis that will get you from here, point A, to retirement, point B. And then I, I'd also just like to bring up the example of when it comes to the watching of, to Tim's point about most rich people out there are ones that don't really spend a lot of money relative to their wealth. I want to bring up the example of, uh, there was a recent news story about a clarinetist named Edward Avedisian, I think is how you pronounce, pronounce his name. He was in the Boston Pops and he did not earn much of a, a high salary, but he had very up until recently, $170 million in net worth. He didn't get that all on his salary. He did that from astute investing and being very diligent in how he invested, but also in watching his expenses and plowing every last cent that he had left over into his investments. He recently donated $100 million of that fortune to um, a medical university. So to him, that's retirement. That's not everybody's definition of retirement, but that's an example of somebody who compounded their knowledge, uh, made iterative decisions to get to that point, point B to retirement. And then he proceeded to live his retirement, how he saw fit. Tim. You know, I love examples of people like that when it comes to retirement, obviously I'm assuming that this clarinetist also, um, probably saved in these qualified accounts that we're talking about. So mm -hmm. doing contributions to your 401k or an IRA over time, but on the exact opposite note, like I love the, the um, you know, the millionaire, the millionaire next door kind mm -hmm. of stories, right? Like this gentleman. So the question is, is what did he give up in order to obtain that? And that's where you really have to start asking yourself and deciding is that, do you want to live a life in which you don't travel? You don't do things, do certain things with friends 
to be able to quote unquote gain X amount of dollars in your account, which then, by the way, he donated a vast majority of it. And like Nathaniel said, that was his choice. That's what he wanted to do. That's what he felt was the most appropriate route. But I can say that working with a lot of different people, it's usually not their number one priority. It is to live life, but it is has to be a balance, which I hate to say because life is all about balance. It is. But in order to find balance, at least what I'm slowly learning over time, trying to compound my own knowledge in this realm, is that it's also understanding yourself and understanding what you want mm. and not what other people want, Key. what you want mm. and making being okay that you want it, right? And then going after it. Mm. But that in itself is a very difficult task. It takes a lot of self-reflection, a lot of self-actualization. And then you add in a second partner, it becomes more difficult because now it's not just your wants, mm -hmm. it's someone else's wants. And then as you add potentially children to that family unit, then it becomes not just your wants, your partner's wants, but also potentially your children's wants. Mm. And so that's where it gets very difficult to be able to manage that, to then be very articulate in the way that you want to handle your family unit's situation um, over time. And it can be difficult and it can be hard. And as Nathaniel mentioned, that's where we want to position ourselves to be in the best spot we can when making decisions and being aware when we make these decisions that it's not just a dollar return, but it also can be a qualitative, a qualitative return. For example, going on a family trip with just your family, no one else, that can generate a lot of memories, that can generate a, generate a lot of love within that week span, which will never get the dollar return, but it will be a very big qualitative return. And as long as you can understand that that's the reason why you made the decision, then you can't regret and create stress around the decisions that you've made. Because sometimes regret and stress are probably the biggest drains on financial decision-making than anything else. Why did I do that? That was dumb. Why was it dumb? Why did you do it? Let's talk about the decision-making and how it worked out, mm. right? Having those conversations. And those then can lead to potential retirement. So always contributing more. It's always better. It always is. Can't hurt. More money is always better, right? At the end of the day. Mm. But then what are you giving up in order to get to get there? Which we have talked about through you know financial tragedies in the past. It's a lot of things. So it's creating that balance, understanding it, and then allowing professionals like ourselves to understand the nuance and then guide you into the right routes to go. That's all I got. So with that, we thank you for listening with us today. We uh, hope you have some happy holidays that you wind down the year in a festive situation and have a safe new year. And uh, we'll get you back with the next podcast. Thank you and have a good night. Like and subscribe. Thank you for taking the time to start your journey of thinking differently and listening to LBW talk about stuff they love. Until next time. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual on any specific security, on any specific broker-dealer or custodian. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments, broker-dealer or custodian may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. 
please seek advice from a licensed professional. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinion of Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC. Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC unless a client service agreement is in place.